Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Mickey Shemi, the Principal Advisor for FHFA's Division of Housing and Mission Goals, to talk about the recent LLPA changes, which have drawn a huge reaction from both consumers and those in housing. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Program Specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Mickey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Great to have you on. Really appreciate the FHFA coming on and and giving us your point of view. So let's take just a quick step back. We've talked about this quite a bit. I know you've probably talked about this a lot. Give us a high-level view of the changes FHFA made to the loan-level pricing adjustments, and let's go from there. Again, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I think think we'd like to uh, give your listeners, your viewers, and understanding the general point of departure for our work. I think uh, Director Thompson's statement last week laid uh, much of that out, but, you know, it's, it's good to have uh, another opportunity to, to amplify some of that message. So, you know, first I would say FHFA as the regulator of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the home loan bank system, we're charged with ensuring that all regulated entities operate in a safe and sound manner and support access to safe and affordable housing nationwide. And to that end, Director Thompson, already at the end of 2021, made clear uh, that she wanted to have a comprehensive review of the enterprise's uh, mortgage pricing framework. And FHFA, to that end, has made a series of changes to the mortgage pricing framework for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac since January of uh, 22 to broadly achieve, I would say, two important objectives. One objective of the pricing changes is to increase pricing support for creditworthy first-time homebuyers, aspiring homeowners with low and moderate income, and those in underserved markets, such as rural areas, manufactured housing, tribal lands. And we announced much of that in October. And those weren't upfront fee reductions. Those were explicit fee eliminations. And, and, and just for you know, point of reference, last year, the average credit score of homeowners in Fannie Mae's and Freddie Mac's um, flagship affordable housing programs was, was 740, illustrating that these homeowners may, may have limited income, may have limited wealth, but they're also credit worthy. To offset these eliminations, as uh, Director Thompson said in the statement last week, FHFA primarily targets higher fees for products like second homes, high balance loans, investor properties, 
cash-out refi loans uh, because FHFA believes those products have private market alternatives. You know, and we made we, we made several uh, fee changes to to those products. Now, the other uh, equally important objective of the pricing changes is to improve uh, the ability of the GSCs to operate in a safe and sound manner. They remain in conservatorship. They remain undercapitalized. The enterprise regulatory capital framework was first rolled out in 2020. It became effective in 2022. And the updated base grids and risk adjusters announced in January better align the GSE's fees with the enterprise's capital requirements under this new capital framework. Uh, the capital rule increased capital requirements for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, but also through that rule, the share of capital is distributed differently across the credit spectrum with basically flatter risk gradients. Um, and we really want to make sure that the GSCs are covering the costs of providing their mortgage guarantees in a way that's better aligned with that framework. But before and after the pricing updates announced in January, better credit equals better pricing. Homeowners with higher credit scores generally pay lower fees than those uh, with lower down payments uh, and with uh, worse credit scores. Now, we, we, we feel now we have an integrated approach to capital and pricing. The pricing changes FHFA has made since 2020 are intended to improve their ability to reach capital adequacy, to meet the updated capital requirements and prevent uh, potential future taxpayer-funded rescue. Uh, and, and the changes to pricing provide a solid footing for Fannie and Freddie to continue to support home ownership nationally in a safe and sound manner in, in a way that's consistent with their, with their charters. You know, much of the criticism, you know, recently I think has been, um, you know, rebutted by us and, and, and by others as well. Much of the criticism around FHFA's assumed objectives, you know, somewhat wrong. They've been identified as wrong by many people. Uh, but, you know, they continue to swirl around in a particular echo chamber. And we probably can't expect to make that corner of the world understand our, our objectives or our actions. Uh, but also importantly, though, some of the criticism anchors to the old grids that were stagnant and just needed to be reviewed. And so we've taken a big step forward to improve the risk-based pricing framework. You know, it was the old framework that was actually out of sync. Uh, we gave us the ability to get rid of, 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 of quirks that prevailed for, for many years. And, you know, you know, does that seem right that the last time these were comprehensively reviewed was eight or nine years ago? You know, you know once a decade, you know, didn't make a lot of sense to, to us. It didn't make sense to Director Thompson. We thought it was a good time to, to conduct this review now. So, um, you know, there's a lot of questions from different quarters. So first of all, we had the consumer reaction. We had the consumer reaction, which surprised us, uh, you know, as you said, these changes were made um, and announced in January. You know, a lot of lenders had already kind of taken this under. We're not sure what happened that it it just kind of got out in the wild and 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 we had a, a consumer press reaction and just you know your general everyday person is like, 
who might be involved in real estate or or what have you going, you know, oh, this is like the rich being taxed for the poor, whatever in, in uh, uh, these fees. So so there's the consumer reaction, there's the industry reaction, then we have, you know, some very specific things. So let's talk, start with the consumer reaction. Were you surprised that this sort of like, uh, you know, started bubbling up in, in the press, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago? I mean, I think that's an important point, right? That the noise is not really coming from the industry. Um, I think the industry seems to understand our objectives. They they have operational concerns around around the DTI piece of it, uh, which we're closely looking at. Um, you know, I, I'd heard the criticism that that the industry is missing the forest for the trees. I I think it's quite the opposite. Right? The 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 industry understands the forest, right? The industry is looking at this. Holistically, and I caught Bob Brooksmith's uh, remarks last week in a couple of interviews. Again, doing yeoman's work, talking on some of the misinformation uh, around this head-on. Uh, there was another MBA statement this week um, said that we addressed anomalies that existed in, in, in the old fee structure. I think the echo chamber that that is anchoring the criticism to the old and out-of-date grids, and then cherry-picking, you know, one specific fee combination to fit a broader narrative, you know, rather than looking at all the steps we've taken holistically to understand our objectives. Again, you know, there, there, there's no across the board increases or decreases you know, for high credit score borrowers versus lower credit score borrowers. We weren't pitting one against the other. Uh, in fact, you know, the, the new grids have a new band for the highest credit score cohorts of, of um, you know, for 780 that most of those bars would either see lower, you know, or, 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 or flat fees, you know, with respect to, you know, the, the, the consumers and as, as it relates to, um, you know, sort of the May 1st date, right. You know, as, as, as you pointed out, um, we announced these latest changes back in January, the industry started rolling these out to consumers in the interim, right? just the way the mechanics of the mortgage market works. There's no magic for the May 1st effective date. Uh, these are effective for mortgages delivered May 1st to the GSEs. Um, so that means that mortgages have already begun to get priced with these probably beginning late February, early March in anticipation of, of May 1st. So, you know, the industry had already consumed these fees for weeks. So, you know, they, I think there seems to have been an attempt to just try to stoke fears in the hearts and minds of consumers around the May 1st date. But, you know, for the consumer, there wasn't anything particular they had to be, you know, to be concerned with. So, so, so calls around the, the May first date either revealed something disingenuous or just a fundamental misunderstanding around the mechanics of how uh, the mortgage market works. I would say that last line is is really important. <laughs> I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding. We see it all the time. You know, um, to people in the industry, even um, you know, the whole process can be a little bit. Uh, com- confusing or complicated, but if you're a consumer, I mean the the nuances of these of the grid, for instance, and what changed in the grid, pretty hard to um, communicate in a in a short video or you know a, a, a social post or whatever. So we we definitely saw that and wanted to kind of push back on the misinformation we saw that just runs rampant sometimes on on social channels. But I do think you know y- you brought up the DTI aspect. I think that was. Uh, something that the industry, you know, the industry was like completely opposed to, taken aback by, uh, hard, hard to overstate the reaction that we saw from industry on that. I know that that was rolled back or pushed back as far as, uh, you know, the rest of this year. Any, any, uh, 
update on like, are, are we just going to see that go away or is that still an objective of the FHFA? Well, I think, I think it's good to give an explanation uh, around um, the DTI. If we can sort of dig a little bit more into um, you know, what, what we did with pricing, we could talk about where, where, where DTI fits into that actually uh, also as it relates to, you know, to capital and risks and returns uh, a little bit, uh, but certainly we're very sympathetic to the D- to the DTI concerns that the industry has relayed, um, especially around the operational concerns, uh, and the, you know it remains something that 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 um, you know we're taking a very close look at. But 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 let me just try to sort of frame it in the context in 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 which it comes. Um, um, I think it's important just to understand that you know, Fannie and Freddie provide guarantees on the mortgages they acquire. They charge guarantee fees for taking on the costs of providing this guarantee. And, you know, Sarah, as, as you know, G fees are not uniform or monolithic. They have several different components. Upfront fee is one component, right? And those upfront fees, you know, LLPAs in Fannie Mae parlance, credit fees in, in Freddie parlance, they're charged upfront, generally factored into a borrower's rate. And they, they are a component of risk-based pricing uh, that, was introduced in the wake of the of the of the financial crisis, but again, this is one component of the overall G fee. And in the 2022 scorecard for the conservatorship, FHFA set out priorities for the pricing review, which have been the organizing principle for this whole work stream. You know, and among these were to build a pricing framework that increases support for for mission borrowers you know, that we've identified as borrowers limited by income or wealth. Um, enhance safety and soundness by fostering capital accumulation and achieve viable returns on, on capital over time. These priorities were also all reiterated in the 2023 scorecard uh, that we released, I believe, back back in January. And like I said a couple minutes ago, generally speaking, the whole upfront fee construct uh, had been largely static for a while, and we really wanted to make sure that we were both being intentional with the pricing support we wanted to provide certain borrowers while also strengthening the enterprise's um, capital build process. And that capital accumulation process, that capital build process, that march towards capital adequacy has begun to be guided by the enterprise regulatory capital framework, which, as I mentioned, became effective last year. So last year, we started to work in this direction. We made a number of changes to uh, the fees over the course of 2022. In January of last year, we announced targeted changes to high balance loans. Uh, Those are super conforming loans in in Freddie Mac parlance and second home loans. Then in October of 22, uh, we announced changes to cash out refinance loans. There were generally increases. Uh, Along with these changes, we also announced eliminations not not tinkering with fee reductions, right? But but eliminations of upfront fees for certain borrowers and affordable mortgage products, uh, targeting primarily purchase borrowers with limited income, borrowers with limited resource for down payment, uh, along with borrowers in underserved communities. And again, just to to stress, um, there's no tinkering to different levels of upfront fees to see what level of fees can be sustained. These were just direct eliminations. Te- technically through the grids, they're delivered as, as caps, uh, you know, but, but they're basically eliminations. 
And these were basically the recipients of the pricing support that we deliberately provided. And the offsets to those fee eliminations were generally those products I, I just mentioned a minute ago, for which the market doesn't completely rely on the GSEs for execution. And obviously, Sarah, you know, the way this seesaw works is dependent on the GSEs acquisition volumes, acquisition profiles, and to a large degree, that depends on market conditions and whether we are where you know, and where we are in the interest rate cycle. Uh, these are components of the world that are generally out of the GSEs control. Now, in January, uh, FHFA uh, released the next iteration of pricing changes. And I should say this is all, you know, separate chapters of one whole book, of one whole, whole holistic review. The January changes involved some fee changes, but also just redesigned pricing grids. And the backbone of the base grid remains largely anchored by credit scores and LTVs, where we provided some further granularity, you know, and that's provided through, through, through the updated design. Previously, there was, there was one grid uh, and then various fees added to that. The new matrices consist of three base grids categorized by loan purpose, you know, purchase loans, rate to refinance loans, cash or refinance, uh, cash or refinance loans. With each base grid, you will have further fee adjusters, again, by loan purpose and further attributes that, that reflect different characteristics. It's within these fee adjusters that, you know, the DTI upfront fee resides. And the source of the fee is also the capital rule and the attempt to better align with that particular cost. The design, the calibration of all these fees just more closely aligned to the enterprise regulatory capital framework that became effective last year. And that's, Sarah, where you see certain increases, certain decreases. There's nothing across the board, certainly not by credit score. Uh, you know, private mortgage insurance is better integrated into the framework. And, and again, that's what's generally driving certain fees in, in, in certain direction. It really wasn't about creating certain incentives for certain parts of the grids or penalizing other parts. Um, you know, and in that process, we were able to get rid of old oddities that, that had prevailed for a while. Now, it's just important to note that all the changes we also made last year to upfront fees have been integrated into the new matrix. So, you know, a third leg of the matrix beyond the base grids, you know, the risk adjusters are the caps and eliminations we introduced last year to support uh, certain borrowers. And then that's essential piece of the, of the whole framework. Um, and it's important to note that through this pricing work, there's really no expansion of credit eligibility criteria for any, for any borrower or program. To wrap this this piece of the discussion up, you know, this approach to us is actually much more simple and straightforward. We're being much more direct and explicit in getting to the borrowers who will benefit from our pricing support by generally recalibrating to capital requirements and then intentionally and deliberately eliminating upfront fees for certain borrowers limited by income uh, or wealth. We, we, we believe these changes to upfront fees will help us achieve the priorities I outlined earlier. Uh, to improve the safety and soundness of the enterprises and just enhance their ability to reach capital adequacy through new mortgage acquisitions and fulfill their mission and uh, 
market role over time. I know that you've you've heard from industry quite a bit on the DTI part, but you know, from their perspective, what we hear is like tying an LLP to a DTI ratio is just problematic for both the consumers who you guys are trying to serve and for the industry trying to implement it. So for consumers, it can be just a, a really terrible experience to get, you know, qualified. They're in the process. It changes because, you know, income changes a lot. DTI changes can change a lot in the loan process. And it also doesn't, you know, doesn't, some of the things don't qualify for an income, right? And we have tons of people who are working second jobs or have a, you know, a gig going. So it's like, not only are you like, it's the way that we did it. So, or the way that the FHFA is laying this out where it's like, it's making it harder for the consumer and it's making a nightmare for the industry. And, and one of the things I've heard the most is like, why, why wasn't their input sought from the industry on this particular thing before it was rolled out? Yeah. So, so there are a couple of things to say to that. Um, one, we're very sympathetic to the industry concerns and to the consumer concerns around it. Um, and, and, and part of that was expressed just by the delay in the fee. And, and, and I know the, the industry is, uh, continues to basically speak in one voice to say that's, that's unworkable, you know, and we, you know, we continue, uh, to look at it very closely. The one thing I would say though about, about income is that this updated pricing framework integrates income thresholds uh, a little bit more actively in fees, right? So there are instances where we use income to actually uh, uh, reduce fees, right? So, so, so for like first time home buyers at a hundred percent area median income and below or 120% area median income and below in high cost areas there under those thresholds, we use income information uh, to, to reduce or fully eliminate fees. So we just want to make sure you know that 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 the consumer has the right experience, and the industry is able to 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 get these to the consumer in the right way. You know, so so we talked about okay, consumers understand it this way, and then um, a lot of you know mortgage originators have, like you said, have already adjusted to the LLPA changes, um, knowing that the DTI now has been pushed off. But one of the things that so I had Dave Stevens on um, last week on the podcast. And one of the things that he really brought up was his objection was the fact that he felt like it was the first time that um, you have somebody coming in and um, tinkering with something that's on the some, you know, that the LLPAs were meant to be risk-based pricing, right? And and changing that in the way that these do, he felt like set a bad precedent given the fact that we now know that, um, you know, just like Biden uh, replaced the FHFA director when he came in, we know that that's now a possibility going forward. And so is by doing this, have we just opened Pandora's box that every four years, those fees are going to be tinkered with? So these fees really hadn't been evaluated correctly uh, in almost a decade, right? and, you know, I can't opine what will happen, you know, four years from now, two years from now, you know, or five years ago. Um, but it's, it's, it's important to, to understand here is that this calibration has been done to more closely align with the enterprise regulatory capital framework that became effective last year. Wasn't there to incentivize or penalize different parts of, of the grid. Uh, but calibration to the enterprise regulatory capital framework uh, provides a lot of um, explanation in terms of certain fees going in certain directions. I don't necessarily want this to be a, a, 
a primer on capital requirements, but we flagged some of these implications uh, for the ERCF uh, back in 2020 when it was first rolled out. Uh, and then also in the latest uh, GFI report that FHFA submitted in November, we, we provided a discussion there as well. Um, and, and we said the transition to uh, the capital rule will have important implications in terms of returns and profitability. Uh, the capital rule increases the aggregate amount of capital required. And there are a few different components um, that, that are discussed as to what's driving that. But the transition to the capital rule also changes capital requirements across credit characteristics and generally leads to higher capital requirements and flatter risk gradients uh, that result in, in, in a lower and sort of flatter return profile for the GSCs. You know, so like one component, for example, the uh, there's a credit risk weight floor of 20% on single family mortgage exposures in the capital rule, which increases capital more significantly for loans with lower credit risk characteristics than for loans with higher credit risk characteristics. And I would just highlight you know, some of this discussion that that's what's driving some of these outcomes. It's a recalibration to align more closely from a return perspective to cover the cost the GSCs bear relative to the capital they're required to hold. Again, it wasn't to drive certain incentives or, or, or certain penalties. Uh, it was really more about the recalibration uh, to capital. And in that spirit, we actually think that it was the old grids that were a little bit out of touch, out of date, out of sync, stale, stagnant. You know, we think the new grids capture the risk-based pricing much, much better. We, we, we've heard, you know, some of these arguments, this subverts risk-based pricing. It's just not clear to us, you know, what the foundation for, for that is, other than just anchoring to, to the old grids. You know, I'd heard uh, some uh, speculation that the objective was potentially to compete with FHA for, for market share, which was never really the objective. Um, you know, that's a question that we asked ourselves early on is how some of these changes would, would um, interplay with that, with that market. You know, and we saw that there's a very limited overlap between FHA and GSCs. And that exists really in the lowest end of the credit spectrum. Um, and any shift from FHA to the GSCs was judged to be very limited. Uh, and again, wasn't the objective. Uh, and I'd even seen some external research, some Wall Street research, I think at the time in January, making that general point that even from, from a pricing perspective, FHA still remained a better execution alternative uh, than the GSCs, you know, for those for those borrowers on the lower end of the credit spectrum. So again, we just don't see where some of the foundation is, you know, for 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 questioning, you know, our commitment to the risk-based pricing framework. Mickey, I appreciate you coming on um, and talking to these specific points. Um, would love to have you on again, and um, thanks for giving us some insight on the FHFA's perspective here. Sarah, thank you very much for the opportunity. I, I, I enjoy listening to your show almost, almost daily. Appreciate that. Thanks so much.
We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax, and Home Services, and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.